0: Hello, this is Mona Tanja, past president of NCSM, and welcome to the NCSM podcast Learning with Leaders, the Game Changer series. Join me and my co-host John Giovanni as we sit down and have conversations with emerging and established leaders about how they are changing the game in mathematics education. Gandhi said, we need to be the change that we want to see in the world. So listen as we talk to mathematics leaders who are being the change that they want to see in mathematics education. We will learn about their inspiration, perceptions, and of course, their game-changing actions. Mathematics leaders, we know that the status quo is unacceptable, so it's time to change the game. That is right. It's time to change the game. And hello, I am Mona Tancheth, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders, the Game Changer series. John Sangiovanni and I are the co-hosts, and today we have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Jim Ewing on supporting emerging multilingual students in mathematics. So if you Google math ELLs, um, Dr. Jim Ewing's name comes up on top. Jim has written four books and 10 articles on how to support English language learners in mathematics. He is one of the authors of the newly released joint position paper for NCSM and Todos, Mathematics for All, entitled Positioning Multilingual Learners for Success in Mathematics, and his latest book, Math for ELLs, too many Ls there, As Easy as Uno, Dos, Tres, is a great resource for supporting this work. Dr. Ewing is an associate professor at Stephen F. Austin State University and is an international speaker and partners with schools all over the country. His workshops and presentations are engaging and informative, And so I just wanna welcome you and thank you so much for joining us today to discuss how to change the game for emerging
1: multilingual learners. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you, John and uh, Mona, for having me. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, we are excited to talk with you tonight. Um, Wanna get started and just jump right in. Our new series is about mathematics leaders who are are changing the game of mathematics education. So a question we have for you and, and our listeners wanna know, Um, what does it mean to you to be a game changer?
1: Well, first of all, John and Mona, I would say that you two are game changers. The fact that you're actually uh, doing this and asking the question, I think is, is very important. So thank you for, for having me and thank you for, for asking these important questions. If you are listening to this conversation, then I would say that you're a game changer, uh, as well. But, um, for me personally, Uh, uh, game changers are those that really talk about how we play the game, as as you can uh, see from the, as you can hear from the the definition. Uh, For example, about 15 years ago, I went to a math conference and something was just rubbing me wrong. I wasn't sure what it was. And towards the end of the conference, we all came together and I looked around and I whispered the person next to me and I said, it's awful white in here, isn't it? (laughs) And she looked at the walls and I said, and I'm not talking about the walls. And so uh, for me, I'm sharing this story with you because for me, uh, game changers are those that change the way we play the game and who's involved in these uh, mathematical conversations. Uh, I really admire um, Dr. Shelley Jones, for example, because she talks about uh, positioning uh, black women uh, to be mathematicians.
0: That's awesome. So I'm going to jump in to conversation um, around. In the opening, I mentioned your work with positioning multilingual learners. So what I noticed, and actually, I actually have the book.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: thing I noticed when I was reading, which I, I know in the book you've done this, but it's also in the position paper, is mm-hmm. we clearly define um, the use of multilingual language learners, which is not what most states use. Um, When you look at student groups, it's, it's either ELs or ELLs. So I'd like to hear from you is, why should we not use the term ELL or English language learner?
1: Sure, that's a great question. And uh, I saw you had a copy of my book, and it's actually called Math for ELLs, and, I, and I'm intentional on intentional in that. Uh, but if you open up the book, then I give an explanation. Mm-hmm. In this case, I wrote the book about a year and a half ago, and I was using the term emergent bilingual, which I think is asset-based, but I even like the term multilingual learner uh, better. And so rather than me just telling you this, because we were talking about game changers and game changers for me, don't just tell, but they, they set off an emotion. And so in order to change, change is hard in order to, to set off that emotion. Then uh, I think it's important to experience things. And so can I give you an analogy uh, here and all the listeners as well? If you're driving, don't do this, but if you're not driving, <laughs> um, let me just ask you a question. Mona and John, are you uh, right-handed or left-handed?
2: I am right-handed.
1: You're both right-handed, right? So uh, about 90, 92% of us are right-handed. But what do you think it's like to be left-handed and to live in a right-handed world? It's different. My nephew's left-handed. Or, so and what have, challenges does he have? Sorry.
0: Challenge, like you, when we sit down at the dining room table, like he has to sit in a specific part or he's elbowing somebody the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very different so like even like writing even I like when I'm observing, I have a student teacher this year who's left handed, and she's writing on the board, and as she's writing she's covering everything up and she's like my students can't see I said well, I'm gonna have to ask a teacher who's left handed to help you. I'm like I don't like I don't have that problem
1: sure because we have that privilege we have right-handed privilege and so um let's do something so we can identify so we can empathize with our uh english language learners and our left-handed uh uh drawers as well uh so let's draw a picture of a house in the air but let's use our left hand oh that's not gonna (laughs) be so all the listeners too, uh do this so you can experience what it might be like uh to be a left-handed uh learner and also an english language learner And so let's draw a picture of a house in the air don't forget the roof and the door and some windows right john drew a nice picture full
2: disclosure i sometimes write with my left hand um
1: the past meeting
2: the past meeting time so what was that like (laughs) what was that like john how'd you feel when you drew that picture? Uh, well you have to concentrate a lot differently right and you have to give it much more concerted effort and um yeah i think that you, you you really have to focus on every movement or every stroke
1: a little differently. Yeah. How about you, Mona? How do you feel yeah, you, doing that? You,
0: I had to think about where to start. Like I normally I would go like this, but I'm like, it doesn't, it it's different. So you have to really pay attention to where your starting point is, what it, what's going to look like. Is it straight, not straight? Yeah. It's definitely different.
1: Great. And so how would you feel if I called you a left-handed learner? You are to use your right hand. And what would, how would you feel if I said, OK, from now on, you're a left-handed learner. We're just going to focus on how you draw with your left hand. How would you feel? Yeah, not very good. And so you know where I'm going with it. That's what that's what the name English language learner uh, uh, implies. It ignores the fact that our students speak at least one language, uh, some more than one, mm-hmm. and it uh, just focuses on how they, uh, uh, you know, speak English. And ironically, is if we make it fun, then they will learn English faster. But if we're just focusing on how they speak English. Um, then we're not gonna be effective and neither will they. And so it's positioning them, uh, our students, uh, to be unsuccessful. And so if we call our students multilingual learners, then it's almost like calling you ambidextrous because if you were to your, and I think John already has, if you learn how to use you know, both your left and right hand, what would should give you credit for that? And not just focus on how you use your uh, left hand.
2: And, Again, I'm not ambidextrous. I've just passed the meeting time playing with my left hand. So just okay. make sure the listener, I'm not right. doing any parlor tricks next time I see you in person. Anyhow, uh, go uh, ahead. Okay. Sorry. I was
1: hoping maybe you could do a demonstration, right, in my next <laughs> workshop. Not so much. Not so much. But but that that answers the question. And so as you see, I could just tell you that. But you know, if we experience uh, things, I think it's uh, we can have more changes. And so there's a reason. And mm. along that line also uh as um and i th- i think uh we were going to talk about this later but um we wrote a position paper and it's the position of ncsm now uh to use the term multilingual learner and so mm-hmm. i encourage us all to use the term multilingual learner if we well, want to use an acronym we can just change that e to an m and say mlls or s
2: yeah. yeah and you know what that timing is perfect uh I actually wanted to ask you just just about that, the position paper. So tell us more about the position paper about uh, multilingual learners and what does it mean to position multilingual learners?
1: All right, Uh, thank you, John. Um, So first of all, I was really honored to be one of the authors uh, on this paper, and the reason I reached out to uh, Dr. Shelley Jones was um, there was a position paper and it and used the term ELLs, and so I said, "Well, let's let's change that and use some uh, more more of the most recent uh, research." And so uh, it's it's a it's a joint effort between TODOS and NCSM, um, and you can read, I believe, for free if you're a member. Is that right? Uh, oh, it's
0: free. It's free to anybody. We made it open to anybody at this
1: point. Right. And so
0: online.
1: Right. And it's about positioning multilingual learners. And so um, positioning, um, for example, uh, using just using that term multilingual learners positions our students. Yes, we could use English language learners, but um, to to position our students uh, is important. And so uh, I can give you I can answer that with another uh, analogy, if you will. What do you think it's like to be uh, multilingual learner and learning uh, math or another content subject in a, in a second language. What's it like to to learn uh, math? I
2: can't. I I personally can't imagine. I've talked with friends who are now you know multilingual, and they talked about how they had to. Um, think about mathematics in their native language and then translate that back into English to communicate in the classroom and that it was extra layers and, and challenges too it, it wasn't as um, intuitive or, or responsive for them
1: right so how about if you experience that and the listeners as well I can teach a little uh, math lesson in Spanish so rather than me just telling you you can experience that are you ready mm-hmm. yeah let's do it uh, ¿Quién me puede decir la raíz cuadrada de 144? Uh, Mona, ¿te gustaría explicar a la clase la raíz cuadrada de 144? Más despacio, por favor. Me gustaría explicar a la clase la raíz cuadrada de 144? OK, so write
0: something or other.
1: No, pero dilo en español, por favor, porque estamos aquí para aprender español.
0: Hablo nada. Uh,
1: no quieres explicar a todos nuestros escuchadores la de 144. No, no. <laughs> okay. I usually do that for 20 minutes because I'm a sure. professor and I have my my students have to stay in the class. we here. I don't want my, our listeners to tune out, and so we'll keep that short. <laughs> sure. uh, but
2: just... my no was not a response. It was I. I could
0: don't... understand. Piece of, so. Sad thing is I was actually a bilingual math teacher my first two years in the classroom. Okay. Um, what was interesting though, over my over the 12 years in the classroom, my first two years, I had solely Spanish speakers. Yes. And so I, because I was immersed in the conversations, my conversational Spanish was actually pretty good. But my last 10 years when I was teaching, and it was, it was no longer bilingual. That was just a policy in our the state of Arizona. Um, however I didn't have just Spanish speakers at one of our schools we had 52 different languages spoken so I, I presented in English and did lots of other strategies to provide access to the content sure. um, but that that's difficult <laughs> <laughs> right
2: well I, and I was wanting you to just slow down a little bit and maybe repeat a couple of things because there were things I thought I caught but I wasn't sure and then when you were talking to Mona I was like well no, no. That's I exactly what I was and...
0: asking him, John. I was telling him to slow down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I <laughs>
2: I, did, I didn't hear you say that part. Sorry. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> I was still processing what numbers you were talking about, yes. right? And I was like, "Wait, wait, what did it's I catch?" Translated. And I wanted to hear it again, and, and things yes. just kept things kept going, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. And so I was actually asking you the square root of 144. Um, but that's the score, Right. But there was no context there. There was no visuals. There was no context. I mean, even if you knew the answer, would you raise your hand and, and share that? Um, so it was just, you know, pure arithmetic. and, and, and um, th- So the point here, John, is to answer your question, that's why we need to position our multilingual learners because it's hard to learn content in, an, in another language. It's not that you couldn't, uh, you know, answer the square root of 144, or do a math. It's just we need, as Mona said before, we need to provide our students with access. And it's important to position our students as successful mathematicians and have them be part of that conversation. And a lot of times we ignore our students, because uh, we're not sure what to do. And so we need to position our students. And so what we can do, an example of positioning our students is, um, we can get our students to work in pairs. And then um, we can say, uh, listen to, to our students. And then say, for example, uh, Juan Jose says that um, one third is greater than a fourth and then um, you know, discuss with your partner you know, Juan Jose's uh, thinking. And when we do that, we're positioning Juan Jose to be a successful mathematician.
0: One thing that I was told as a uh, beginning teacher that it was all about when you're teaching um, English language learners, it was if you just provide a picture model, they'll understand, right? You just have to provide that. So my question to you, because in in the position statement, as well as the book, you talk about visuals are not enough. So what do you mean by visuals are not enough or that we or how we need to ensure multilingual learners visualize themselves in our curriculum?
1: What a great question, Mona. Um, So first of all, what we're doing is not working. Uh, the reason you invited me here was because um, it's not working. Our our ELLs and I'm putting that in, uh, in quotation marks, uh, are, not being su- are not successful in mathematics in general. Some are, but in general, they're not. And so we need to change the way we're, we're teaching. And so, yes, we need to have visuals, uh, but also we need to be culturally responsive. And so I think the litmus test is not only uh, should we provide visuals, but can our students, including our multilingual learners, can they visualize themselves in our curriculum? And so that's really a key, I think, not only do we need to provide visuals for that linguistic support, but also are we being culturally responsive so our uh, multilingual learners can visualize themselves in our curriculum. And um, a lot of times, uh, I'll work with teachers because, as I said, I give professional developments and, and they'll say, Oh, yeah, well, we're being culturally responsive and I'll say Okay, well, what book did you read today. And I'll say Okay, is that about a multi is that book about a multilingual learner. And it doesn't have to be all the time, but sometimes once a week, once a month, once a year, we need to have books about uh, multilingual learners. Otherwise, um, they can't see themselves in the mirror, if you will. And it's also important for non multilingual learners. uh, It's called looking through the the sliding door or the window. Uh, They need to see representation as well. And so, uh, what's sad to me is that three quarters nationally, three quarters of our multilingual learners are identified as um, uh, Spanish speakers. And yet I could hardly find books about, you know, Spanish speaking, um, uh, multilingual learners. So I wrote a children's book myself, even though it's got nothing to do with, uh, math. I wrote a children's book. It's called Juan Jose, you are especial. That's cool.
2: That yeah, it's really cool. Is that right behind you that I can see you? In the... It, is. it Sorry. is. Sorry, listeners. I can see it <laughs> in the background
1: there. Right. And um, so what I've done is that's an example of position. Oh, cool. There's, there's a picture of Juan Jose. Uh, I didn't draw this, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and I use when I use the word especial, I'm just positioning certain students that understand those words, and so yeah. uh, that's an example of positioning. And so, uh, John and Mona, how did you learn, for example, uh, fractions? Was it through pizza? Uh,
2: I don't remember.
1: You remember pizza or
0: or um, sharing a cookie?
1: Okay. Yeah. Those right. kind of things, I'm sure. But it was yeah. all
0: food that was very oriented towards what I experienced every day, not right. what everybody else experiences.
2: I imagine I was the same. I, I really, I'd have to think about
1: that. OK, and that's why I'm asking, because uh, Juan Jose in the book, Juan Jose, he was born in the United States, like 80 percent of the multilingual learners. Uh, Juan Jose was born in the United States, so he likes pizza. He likes pepperoni pizza. But, you know, at a home, he likes enchiladas verdes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if we could position our students and occasionally um, ask some questions about enchiladas verdes uh, in fractions or however, uh, whatever uh, we're, we're talking about mathematically.
2: That's a really nice example, Jim. And, and I like enchiladas verde, so uh, I'll have to make sure I work uh-huh. that into an upcoming problem and talk about why that's, a, why that's an important feature of our work, which makes me think about the next question I have for you. And, and that is a district leader, but for all of our math leaders who are listening, um, a question that, that we have for you are, what are some tips for mathematics leaders um, that, that you might offer to help them meet the needs of multilingual learners?
1: Sure. Um, John, I have an acronym with five letters, and you can remember paths. And okay. um, and I asked this question, you know, what path are you going to take? And so the P stands for position. We've talked about positioning. You know, we can position our students, not only where they sit, to be to make sure uh, our multilingual learners are uh, in friendly places where people will support them, uh, but also position them using, um, you know, using a few words in Spanish or, or their first language. Uh, Second is access we need as Mona said we need to provide our students with access I didn't provide you with access when I asked you what the square root of 144 was, Mm -hmm. I assume that you could have told me if I provide you with access, but visuals aren't enough it's not just enough to say you know visuals also need to talk about your, you know about your cultural and and trying to make math interesting to you. And when we're working with multilingual learners, um, we need to consider that uh, as well. The T stands for teach, uh, in that we need to teach language, uh, not only our students' first language, uh, but also uh, mathematical language and English. We need to teach uh, language. Um, so that's important as well. Often our teachers uh, speak too much. And so one thing we need to do is to give our students uh, more time uh, to speak. And the H stands for John Hattie. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, John Hattie's uh, work, um, but I. It doesn't have to be Hattie's work. I really do like John Hattie's work, but um, I wanted to put an uh, R there for research, uh, but then I wouldn't have had that PATH acronym. So I'm using a Hattie. Yeah, uh, there you go. And John, you're gonna love the S. What do you think the S stands for? Oh, I don't know. Um, Struggle, maybe. Struggle, sure. And so the S means like struggle. What can we do? To to uh, to engage our multilingual learners in struggle, so that that's uh, th- that's the same thing. So it's paths. P is positioning. A is access. T is teach language. H is Hattie or any research-based um, uh, strategies, and S is engage our students in struggle. Struggle is a good thing.
2: Yeah, it is without a doubt. That's uh, that that's really nice. That's really nice. That helps, and acronyms help us in those cases too. I was trying to make it parse but that wasn't going to work. So I'm just going off on a tangent that I don't need to do right now. If you're listening in your car, feel free to uh, think of another <laughs> way to go about that. Yeah. So
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna go off of your um, paths idea, and when you talk about access, so one of the things that NCSM published in April of 2020 was the position paper on detracking, and access providing access is part of your work Yes. have you have you found any correlation or noticed anything around tracking and students who have um english language learning needs
1: great um yeah. so is I'm Just
0: curious because is that part of the access because you know if you're a math leader working in a district is that part of the reflection you need to have is is the type of access. It could be access to the content, but it also could be access to courses. So the access could be, yeah.
1: Sure, Mona, by all means, and um, uh, I know, for example, Joe Bowler is someone who I like a lot. Um, she talks; she told me in one of her presentations she was talking about San Francisco, where they did away with the with the tracking, and all the students did well. Be, but be uh, sincere; that's not an area that I've really um, addressed that much, particularly for specifically for multilingual learners. I don't really know the data, but uh, my hunch is to say that tracking, you know, is is not good, and um, because it doesn't position our multilingual learners. I do know that um, statistically, there are multilingual learners are often on the bottom track. And once you're in that track, you stay uh, stuck there.
0: That's exactly what happened. That was in my district. That was what I noticed is our, mm-hmm. our students that were identified with um, language needs, they were typically in our below grade level courses. Sure. They predominantly stayed there. Sure. there was no no access point so I think that's really important for math leaders to be aware that access isn't just to content but it's also to future right future learning how are you providing access to future learning that was really
1: important. and I'm going to push back uh Mona that our students it's not like they have language needs I know that's a lot of times we're identified but actually they're language experts the fact that they speak one language and they're learning another in many way um it's it's um it's us that need to change because uh they're they're experts and if they they can learn two languages or more then they can learn the math as well when we do provide them with access and so often they're they're are our multilingual learners are, are put in these tracks when um when they're really capable and we, we we just have to give them more credit
0: yeah absolutely all right i'm gonna have one last question so i have started this i have not finished all of it okay. uh, i'm on the the growth mindset, positive, not the growth mind, positive math mindset section. So tell us a little bit about your book and how that would support math leaders in supporting our emerging uh, multilingual learners.
1: Sure. Thank you. Uh, as I said before, that, uh, I was going to use the term emergent bilinguals or multilingual learners on the title, but then I knew that not many people would buy the book because they say, well, we don't have any of those. So I use the term <laughs> math for ELLs. And it's not easy um, to teach multilingual learners necessarily, but I try and make the strategies uh, easy. And so the language I try and make as easy as uno, los tres, uh, if you will. So that's, where the, that's the origin of, of the, the title. Uh, but it, the whole idea is I've used this with my teacher candidates um, there's been some book studies, uh, especially where I'm, I'm located in Texas. In Texas, there's been um, uh, quite a few book studies. And um, that's the idea. Uh, we talk about the importance of having a mindset. Uh, we talk about access. Uh, we talked about teaching language and, and research-based uh, strategies and productive struggle. And so uh, it's very similar to paths, even though I don't come out and say that, uh, those terms. Uh, but Uh, I also trying to get get you to experience uh, because I think that just telling things don't work. And so I try and give as many as analogies uh, as possible and um, some experience. Another thing, uh, I'm still on your first question about being a a game changer. Uh, When I first started writing books and giving workshops, um, I thought the most important thing was to be engaging and also uh, to give uh, good content. But I'm realizing now that there's a third component. You know what the third component is for me? The third component it, component is transfer. And so in this book, I try and give you an opportunity to transfer. Uh, and it might be just to take one idea. And so whether it's a, you know, whether it's um, you go to an NCSM uh, conference and you listen to the speaker, always try and transfer. And, um, and, you know, by transfer, I mean, you know, tell me one thing that you're going to do, you know, tomorrow or next week or, 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 or whenever, I think that's really important. And so in the book, I try and give you that, those opportunities to, uh, to transfer, um, some of the strategies, cause there are a lot there, but, but we need to transfer that. Otherwise, what's the point?
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's absolutely, that's what you would want from any, um, professional mm-hmm. learning is that it, it it's a great day of professional learning. However, it's not going to make an impact unless you walk away and commit to doing something. Correct. Transfer part is really important. Well, I just want to say thank you for your time today. Thank you for making me think back to uh, my Spanish (laughs) (laughs) and how little I actually remember.
2: (laughs) No comment.
0: It was a really good conversation and I appreciate that.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Jim, so much for your time. And uh, again, uh, we appreciate all your work for, for our field.
1: And thank you, Mona and John. And let me just uh, shout out to um, to the listeners and um, you know think about and how you can transfer. You know, one thing that we've talked about because I think that's so important as well. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you once again, Mona and John, for everything you do. You are uh, game changers, and um, I really love NCSM. Uh, you're doing some um, some wonderful things at NCSM. So thank you for having me.
0: You are very welcome. We hope you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation and will tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. You can learn more about NCSM, Leadership in Mathematics Education, and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website at mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter, at method leaders using the hashtag ncsmbold thanks again